Good morning. I love you guys. <clears throat> um, I'd like to extend a welcome to uh, all of our guests who are here with us this morning. So, so very grateful that you're here with us. Will you please stand so that we can welcome you? Come on, stand up. Love it. <clears throat> welcome. Uh, very grateful that you're not only here, but that you get to be in chapel with us, where uh, three times a week we gather as Covenant College community to encounter Jesus together. Um, so great privilege to be with you. A couple of very quick announcements. Uh, Day of Prayer is coming up next Tuesday. Yep. And wanted to announce uh, there is going to be another uh, Monday night, the night before, uh, family-style meal in the Kirk. And just a quick announcement there, because you have to sign up, there's limited space, um, but it'll be similar to uh, last semester. Um, also, I want to announce Covenant Seminary is coming down next Wednesday. Um, so they're going to be doing a number of different events. Kind of keep an eye out in your email for those. And then today, two fantastic events are taking place at the same time. So depending on your disposition, Carter Smackdown is happening in Carter Hall at 8 o'clock p.m. And Happy Maxidents is uh, a painting event in the style of Bob Ross. Um, it's happening in Mac at 8 o'clock p.m. And I hope all of you have, have gone and like put Bob Ross's uh, uh, videos on repeat on YouTube. Good for the soul. Um, so... Uh, some of you know, some of you have seen her in person, some of you have not, but we have a, a dog uh, named, named Batty, and Batty is a, a bit of a genetic marvel. Um, I have photographs, but I, I'm not going to put one up here. If you see her, you'll understand what I mean. She is, um, she is fast and strong and smart. She is wildly and deeply affectionate, uh, but one thing she does lack is perspective. Uh, so yesterday I let Betty out in the morning. There was a squirrel in the middle of the yard. And Betty took off after the squirrel. And the squirrel just ripped into uh, kind of shrubbery, but, but there was a tree. So the squirrel jumped up on the tree and Betty hits the tree. The squirrel j hops around to the back side of the tree, climbs up, jumps onto some branches, I think kind of looking down on Betty in disgust, and then just carries on uh, across to a different tree and out so that Betty couldn't eat the squirrel. Um, but it, 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 was a beautiful, it was a beautiful sort of picture because it was this, this picture of a squirrel who had a vision and perspective that Batty did not have. The squirrel was able to hop, pop over and look down and see this, this full um, circumstance that was taking place with uh, clarity because of where the squirrel was. And then the squirrel just hops off and the squirrel remains happy. So today, this is so bad, and you're going to have to forgive me because it might be the like, lamest spiritual uh, uh, phraseology we've ever used, but I'm going to talk a little bit about squirrel vision. So squirrel vision, <laughs> hear what I mean. When I reference squirrel vision, I'm talking about that type of perspective which allows you to see reality as it truly is. Good? So that's, that's what we're doing, and forgive me, really, it is bad, and I know it, but we're doing it anyway. Um, so we are going to look this morning at... Uh, the story of David and Goliath, which most of you, I'm sure, are, are fairly familiar with. 
Um, but I think it's fun to kind of sit in it and dig down into some aspects of uh, David and Goliath that maybe sometimes we don't think about or that we um, have heard so many times we forget to see. So we're going to set it up, and we need some good context. And for that, what we're going to do is look at uh, the two chapters before, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 1 Samuel chapter 16, because some really important things happen. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Lord rejects Saul as king over Israel. Saul has been disobedient in battle with the Amalekites, and Samuel comes, and, and the Lord tells Samuel, I have rejected Saul as king, and I have removed my spirit from him. He is no longer the anointed one over Israel. And instead, Samuel has been called to go and anoint a young boy, the youngest son of the father, Jesse, David, who will one day become king. And scripture tells us that when that happens, the spirit falls upon David. So David is now the anointed soon-to-be king over Israel. And scripture also tells us that David is brought into the court of Saul because he's a good musician and Saul uh, is dealing with some uh, mental and emotional and spiritual uh, anxiety. Um, and when David plays, it soothes him. So David plays for Saul and then goes back home and tends sheep and then he's called back. So you have this, this, this soup kind of uh, being formed. Um, soup, yeah. Um, but I'd like to take you back even further. I'd like to take you back to 1 Samuel chapter 5. I'd like to take you back to a time when the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. Um, and the Israelites, again, are fighting in uh, a place of disobedience so that God delivers the Israelites into the hands of the Philistines. And what happens is the Philistines then take the Ark of the Covenant and they take it back to the Philistine land. And over time, it moves throughout all five major cities of the Philistines, Ashdod and Ekron and all of them. But before that happens, it starts off, and after they capture the ark, they take it to the temple of Dagon. They take it to the temple of Dagon, their god, and they place the ark at the feet of the statue of Dagon inside his temple. They go uh, uh, outside. The next morning, they come out, and they find the statue of Dagon on his face, prostrate before the ark of the living God. So they place the statue back up, and the next day they come out, and the statue of Dagon is once again on the ground. Its head has been severed, and its hands have been severed as well. Military, any, anyone with military knowledge at the time would have recognized that was a military conquest, a military victory of the living God over the god Dagon. That's when the uh, the Philistines decide, oh, we need to get rid of the ark. Uh, the ark starts causing boils and plagues, and they send it throughout all the cities and eventually send it back to um, Israel. But what's important, and I think for us to see this, is that we have a lived-out parable it, with David and Goliath of what happens with the ark of the living God in his very presence and the false god Dagon. Because now you have Goliath, a champion of the Philistines, who curses Israel by his gods, and you have David who's going to stand for his God. But first, uh, let's move into uh, what happens. Uh, the Philistines and the Israelites uh, drew up to meet in battle in the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines occupy one hill, the Israelites occupy another hill, and there's a valley in between. And scripture says that a champion from Gath comes out from their camp. He comes out, and if you read the text, he is psychologically 
overpowering. He is an awesome human specimen. He's roughly nine feet tall. He's wearing a bronze helmet. He's wearing armor that is bronze and again, quite impressive. He has bronze greaves on his knees, greaves which would have covered his knees and his shins. He's got a javelin slung on his back and he's got a, a spear with a 15 pound tip on it. It's how massive he was. And it's not just that he's physically imposing, he's also a champion, which means he is uh, birthed to fight and he is a pro at one-on-one -on -one combat. So here he is, this nine foot tall, giant warrior. And he comes out of his camp and he yells challenges to the Israelites. He says, why do you come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine or are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. So reflected, commonly held idea in, in uh, ancient Near East that when you had a war, it was really a, cont a contest between the gods of the nations. That could be settled just as easily by one representative of the god fighting another representative of another god or whole armies doing battle. And Goliath, with his great and rightful pride, says, I'm a servant of my gods. Send a servant of your god and let us do battle. If we win, you become our slaves. If you win, we will become yours. And this is what he says. He says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, the natural candidate to go out and fight Goliath is whom? It's King Saul. The king goes before his people in battle. But King Saul is not going out to fight Goliath. All of the people are instead dismayed and terrified. Saul has been severed from the help and hand of the living God. Well, Goliath comes onto the scene and then David comes onto the scene. And while we're introduced to Goliath by his size, his stature, his physical prowess, how he is as a warrior, we're introduced to David by his covenant lineage. It's made clear that he is in the covenant of Jesse, that he has royal lineage that is going to link us eventually to Jesus. And he's sent to the battle lines by his father to take bread and cheese. He's going to take food to his brothers, and he's supposed to bring word back to his father about how things are faring on the battlefield. And when he gets there, we find out that Goliath has been issuing this charge, this challenge for 40 days. So think about this. This is almost six weeks that a champion from the other nation representing the other nation's God has come and stood and called, give me one man to fight. One man and not a single man in all of Israel, including the king, will go out and represent the living God against Goliath. A humiliated army, total moral defeat. And then David finds out exactly how bad it is when he gets to the battle lines. He's told that the king is essentially trying to bribe another soldier to go and stand in his stead. He's going to give his daughter in marriage. He's going to uh, keep his family from having to pay taxes. He's going to bring him into his court. And here, David hears Goliath issue the charge. And this is what he hears. I defy 
the armies of the nation of Israel. Give me a man to fight. And David, the only one in the entire Israelite army, squirrel vision, right? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, Saul hears of his comments. Not exactly sure why Saul calls him to him, perhaps to quiet him down. Um, but David goes to Saul and he says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replies, you can't go out and fight the Philistine. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior since his youth. And then David says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, and here's why. Squirrel vision. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. David is not being foolish, and he is not being naive. He is instead focused on God's past faithfulness and trusting in God's present faithfulness. The Lord who rescued me there will rescue me here, and his actions are guided by that faith. And based on what happens next, David uh, doesn't seem to have an exact plan, which is kind of beautiful, right? Here's what David's plan is. His plan is, the Lord is faithful and the Lord will rescue me and I will take one step and then another step in that faithfulness and see how God acts. Scripture says that Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him uh, and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he's not used to him. I can't go in these, he said. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And this is not some throwaway description. This is actually a really powerful thing that's happening here. In the ancient Near East, an inheritance was guaranteed by the giving of a garment. Uh, the garment signified the inheritance that was going to be given to a child. Saul is here in a very real way, in a very unintentional way, transferring his inheritance and his position to David. Well, it says, scripture says that David then takes his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Israel has finally put forth a champion. And it's a young man. And he has no armor, and he has no spear, and he has no sword. What he does have is his faith, his trust that the Lord is going to provide, and he has a sling and five smooth stones in his hand. Well, the battle then is about to take place. We get first Goliath's impression of what's happening, and then we get David's. The Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. A little squirrel vision for us. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but here's how I come to you. I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, so that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Squirrel vision in full effect. David recasts the entire nature of this battle. You have cursed me, a servant of Yahweh, by your gods who are false. You have taunted Yahweh, the living God of Israel, and today the living God of Israel, the Lord, will deliver you to me, and everyone will know that the living God is the God of Israel. That is the battle that is before us, and it's what David sees so clearly. And then the battle. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And before we look at what actually happens, it's good to understand what a sling actually is. I don't know, some of you may have seen this. Um, they're, they're ancient weapons, but they're actually quite powerful weapons. Um, it would be uh, 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 woven together, it could be leather, but it, it attached to your finger or to your wrist, and then it went down, had a pouch, and then it had another piece that you would hold. And you put something into the pouch of the sling. Uh, it could be something small, like a, a, a small rock. It could be a big rock, like the size of, of a, a baseball or a softball. And you'd whip the sling around like this, you'd let go, and the projectile would shoot out. They could do serious damage. They can get up, like now they clock them, and you, you can watch YouTube videos of them doing these, like, and they get going like 100 miles an hour, right? So this is not like a, a slingshot where you're shooting BBs. This is a pretty potentially, at least, deadly weapon. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, David slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. The most important piece here is that David, with his sling, is defeating the Philistine. But it's a fascinating thing, um, and this is kind of fun. This is an aside thing, but it's, it's good and, and I think helpful for us as we see what's taking place here. Um, it's bothered certain scholars over the years as uh, the description of this. He slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. It sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So picture this, right? A stone comes whipping at Goliath. It hits him in the forehead. It sinks into his forehead, and instead of falling backwards, Scripture says that he falls face down. Now, the reason that he falls face down, there's deep theological reason there, right? Because he's falling prostrate before the representative of the living God. But we want to be like, what's happening? And there was a British rabbi in the early 1900s who, who was doing work on this. And the word for forehead in Hebrew is almost identical, almost exact to the word greaves that cover your legs and shins. So this guy, Jonathan Maginet, put forward, and I think it's actually pretty compelling, the idea that the stone didn't in fact hit him in the forehead at all, which would have either knocked his head off or knocked him backwards, but that it literally hit him in the shin and blew his leg completely apart so that Goliath then falls forward, still very much alive. Something worth considering. So Goliath falls forward, just like Dagon had fallen forward before the ark of the living God, prostrate reverence before the servant of the Lord. And then verse 50, and don't be confused by this, verse 50 says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. A summary of what is taking place. That David did not come with a sword, but he came in the name of the Lord. He wasn't coming with weapons. He was coming with faith and obedience. And then in verse 51, we're filled in on the details of what actually took place. We, right? We get that summary. Now we get the details of how it happened. Scripture says that David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath 
And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So I think what you have is this. David, a very small-ish boy, goes and unsheaths Goliath's very large sword. And with it, stands over Goliath and drives it into him and kills him. And after killing him with the sword, he then, and you got to picture this, right? Because this is not a pretty, like, this is not um, Aragorn with his sword, right? This is a boy with a very large sword decapitating a very large warrior. This is gritty and visceral and real. And it is what they did on the battlefield. It is what they did to show that one God had actually triumphed over the other. So scripture tells us that he does that. He cuts off his head. And here, folks, it is not just a visceral war thing. Think Dagon, the farther ark of the living God, whose head had been severed. And now you have Goliath, the Philistine, worshiper of Dagon, and his head, too, is being severed. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. The whole... Uh, the whole offer will be your slaves, you'll be ours. They turn and they run. Is it because their God had been defeated? Perhaps, but it's definitely because their hero had been defeated. And now they take off. The Israelites um, go off after them. They pursue the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron, dead, slewn around, uh, along the way. The Israelites return from chasing the Philistines after they plunder their camp. And the scripture says that David took the Philistines' head and he brought it to Jerusalem and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. So David and Goliath, at its very, at its very heart, is a story about the faithfulness of the living God to his servant that he loves, who has acted in faith and who has stepped out in obedience, who has seen accurately and clearly what was happening in the world and in his very immediate circumstances. And I want to sit there for just a moment. This anointed, spirit-empowered king-to-be was able to see clearly. Think of this. Before him is a battle. It's hard to get far more immediate and visceral and real and earthly than your life being um, hanging in the balance, if you will, and you look at someone that you know can defeat you. But David stood in faith and he recognized the actual situation. That it was Goliath standing for his God and cursing the living God. And David saying, I'm going to come in the name of the Lord. And the Lord will deliver because he's a faithful God. He has been faithful in the past and he will indeed be faithful now. True squirrel vision. He's able to see accurately and clearly because he understands things in relationship to the faithfulness of God. And I think it is a great temptation, even draw of the world, to make us forget reality, to see myopically, to focus on a very spe specific thing in front of us that we can see and that is challenging us. Um, if you think Judas, this is exactly what Judas did, right? When, when the woman is anointing Jesus' feet with the perfume, what does, Jude, what does Judas do? He focuses on the perfume and how expensive it is and what a waste it is. Myopic, pulling it in. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, perfect, perfect squirrel vision. That's so weird to say. Uh, 
But uh, he knew what was going on in her heart. As a child of God, as children of God, adopted by the Father because Jesus loved us enough to die for us, to conquer the death that enslaved us, to then indwell us with the Holy Spirit of the living God, we can see with what Paul calls the eyes of our hearts. We can see the hand of God in every event that takes place. We can have squirrel vision because we have the indwelling spirit of the living God in us. We can see the God-saturated world around us. We can see the circumstances that are right before us and that we would be so tempted to see as a challenge or something that could overcome. But by the Spirit of God, we actually have the ability to see well and to see clearly. And I've been thinking about um, you folks who are visiting for Scholarship Weekend. I've been praying for you all week. And my prayers have shifted over the course of this week. This is a weird thing that you're doing. Like, I can't get around that. Like, it's a weird thing that you're coming to this place and you're going to talk to people and you're going to answer questions and you're going to interact and then some of you are going to be given money and some of you are not. <laughs> like, that's just a weird reality. But what I want to tell you is that in my experience of watching this happen for 11 years, the money is not the most important thing. I hope that what you can see, I hope that you can see by the indwelt power of the Spirit, the relationships that you may form, the quiet confirmation that you may have that, oh, whether I get this money or not, this is the place that God is calling me to be. Maybe you meet a roommate. Maybe you're going to meet someone that will end up being a lifelong friend. Maybe you meet someone that you get to serve while you are here. I want to encourage you, don't be uh, limited and myopic in your vision here. Have good squirrel vision when it comes to this, because here's the reality. Um, it's a little bit, and I'm, I'm, talk I'm talking really to you guys who are doing this, this scholarship thing. It's a little bit like, like a dating re relationship, right? Um, I, I tell people, and this is true, right? When you're dating someone, and I'm a, I'm a fan of dating. <laughs> Dating's good. There are, only, there are only two potential outcomes. One, you're going to break up. Or two, you're going to get married. That's it. Those are the only potentials. Nothing else can happen. Well, I guess you could break up and then date again and then break up. You guys have done that. <laughs> um, but... If in that dating relationship you are pointing one another to Jesus and in the midst of that relationship you are drawing closer to Jesus, then no matter whether you break up or get married, you have dated well. And what I want to encourage you to do is scholarship well, right? It is not about winning it is instead about being obedient to what the Lord calls you. I have no idea who's going to win scholarship. No clue. I only know one person's name that's here for scholarship weekend, and they don't even know me, okay? I have no idea, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. That the Lord Jesus calls us to consider others better than ourselves. 
to outdo one another in showing honor, to love one another as he has loved us. So I just want to perhaps lay before you potential of turning your paradigm and your vision just a little bit. Be as faithful as you can in walking to those rooms. Be as confident as you can because of the confidence that comes from your identity as a follower of Jesus. But while you're here, see if you can outdo one another in honor. See if you can love one another like Jesus loves. And see if when you look around at your brothers and sisters who are competing, very weird word, competing against you, see if you can consider them better than yourself. So that when you leave here and you get a call at some point that says, hey, congratulations, money, you go, okay, but I did that well and faithfully. And if you get a call and they say, hey, no money, you say, but I did that well and I did it faithfully. David penned uh, Psalm 9, beautiful song, but I think this is what we all want to be able to say. And if we have a right perspective on what's happening in the circumstances around us, the world around us, and we see clearly, we then can say with David, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all of his wonders. I will be glad and I will exalt in him. I will sing praise to your name, O most high God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious King and Father, um, Lord, you are so kind and so very gracious to us. We thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us on our own to make sense of the world, but that you uh, give us the ability to see and see clearly. I pray, Lord, that for all of us, um, we would not have myopic vision about the world around us. Help us to see and dwell in this God-saturated, amazing place uh, the things that you have before us. Will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make us able to be faithful and to love as you have loved? We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand.